Hello, 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 and welcome one and all to this Friday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Sorry if I blew out your eardrums with those first few hellos. I was really close to the microphone, and I apologize for that. And I will also apologize for this in advance because, I mean, I can't see the future or anything, but I can tell just based on how I'm feeling right now, this is not going to be one of my better shows. I would, I would think, but I don't really know. I'm super tired. I'm running on like five hours of sleep and against my better judgment, I am in fact recording a show. And one of my, so we were watching the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with the Dallas Cowboys is the first game of the NFL season. Yes. Give a round of applause. The NFL is back. We are officially back and running with football season. The first game of the NFL season means the first game in fantasy football. Oh my goodness. Great time to be alive. But first game of the NFL. Fun stuff. Now I will say this. I'm not going to say the NBA does a lot of things better than the NFL. There's probably nothing the NBA really does do better than the NFL. Other than the fact they know how to do a trophy ceremony. The NFL... They stink at it. Now, I'm not saying go out and do the ring thing because there's 53 players on an active roster, not including practice squad and coaching staff. They'll all get rings as well. There's a lot less players on a national basketball team or NBA team. I don't know why I said national basketball team. We're running on fumes here, ladies and gentlemen. I can only apologize for that. But the the ceremony lasted like five seconds. They showed the Buccaneers the tunnel, and then all of a sudden they go, here's your Super Bowl banner. It wasn't even a banner. or a, a, It wasn't anything. It was just a 2020 on a wall, pretty much. They unleashed this flag or banner or curtain or whatever, and then everybody clapped and the Bucks took the field. That was pretty much it. Now, again, the NBA does not do a lot of things better than the NFL or just football in general because we all know football is king here in America in regards to sports, even though baseball is America's pastime. The NFL and, the NBA and, the, and football in general, college football especially, are the biggest things in America, but their trophy ceremonies stank for like banner raising. Oh, so it was, it was basically like it never happened. They, they might as well just not done anything. And I think people would have understood like, oh yeah, we know they won a championship. That's about how long it took. It's like, oh yeah, that team won sick over, but overall the game was pretty enjoyable and it's not over yet. The Buccaneers and the cow, the Cowboys are still going on right now. There's 10 54, Left in the fourth quarter, the Bucks are up 28-26 to 26 at this point in time. And Dak Prescott, you wouldn't know that he was coming off a, a, a severe ankle injury or shoulder issues that plagued him throughout the preseason if you watched Hard Knocks, which we brought up in the preview video. He's thrown 50 passes, and we're five minutes into the fourth quarter. 50 passes. Tom Brady has thrown 35. Neither team has committed to the run this game. In total, combined, each team has ran for 27, ran the ball 27 times. The leading rusher on the Cowboys is Zeke with nine carries and 28 yards. Leading rusher on the Buccaneers is Leonard Fournette with seven carries and 25 yards. And then receiving, you have Amari Cooper balling out, Antonio Brown's balling out, Antonio Brown, four catches, 118 yards, 29.5 yards per reception. And then Gronk, Gets another touchdown from Tom Brady, making 100 career touchdown passes together, including postseason, regular season, postseason, 86 regular season, 14 in the postseason. One of the most insane one-two duos in NFL history, which is usually how duos work. There's one and then another person. You can't really have three people in a duo that doesn't work out. But nonetheless, great duo. Tom Brady and Gronk, 
People thought they were done. Gronk retired. Brady's getting older. And they're still connecting for touchdown passes. And Brady does not look like he's slowing down anytime soon. There were some great throws in the game for both Brady and Dak. Dak looked good running the ball as well. There was one sack in the game. One sack. And I don't even remember that sack taking place. <laughs> I I asked my friend Noah who was watching the game. I was like, has there been a sack yet? I was just thinking about this. Has there been a sack yet? He's like, I don't think so. Like, I don't remember there being a 12-yard sack for Dak Prescott. Now, there were two drives. I was completely spaced off. I was completely spaced out. Don't know what happened those two drives. I looked up both times. The Cowboys and Bucks were punting. Didn't see a single offensive play from either team. I have no idea what happened on those two drives. That might have been the drive where Dak got sacked. Might have been. But who knows? I would Not, not I. <laughs> who would have thought we'd be here? Not me, as Paul Rudd said on, I think it was Hot Ones, I believe. But overall, it's just nice to have football back. The Bucks played well. They're playing well. The offense looks insane. But the Cowboys defense, though we're just talking about the Bucks offense, Cowboys defense looks good. I mean, it's hard to not look better than what they did last year. They ranked pretty much dead last or last or near the bottom in almost every single defensive category. So it was hard to be worse than that. It's the second worst defense in Cowboy history. So it's hard to do worse than that. Trayvon Diggs, uh, Leighton Vander Esch, Jalen Smith, Demarcus Lawrence, who's the best player on that defense. And then you've got the rookie, Micah Parsons, who has shown some flashes, but a lot of rookie mistakes. Tom Brady's picked him apart a few times this game. Because that's just what Tom Brady does. Tom Brady feasts on rookie linebackers. That's just what he does. But the defense overall looks a lot better than what they did last year. Dak on offense. Dak doesn't look like he's missed a beat once. The first play of the game, being trapped on their own two-yard line, was like a 20-yard pass down the sideline to Amari Cooper. First play of the game. Like, oh, he's coming off an ankle injury. Oh, his shoulder's been messed up a little bit this preseason. Yeah, he's fine. I'm not saying he's 100%, and I don't think he's 100%, but he does not look waning. It doesn't look like it's bothering him. He might not be 100%. But that's the difference between between playing hurt and actually injured. I think Dak's hurt. I don't think he's injured. It won't be out for long periods of time. I mean, obviously, he's thrown 50 freaking passes, and we are halfway through the fourth quarter now. It's still 28-26. to 26. Bucks have the football. Oh, but it just feels so good to have football back. Football is back, baby. College and NFL. We got Iowa State this weekend. College football game day is there. But the other type of football, I'm going to talk about this before we get into college football, because this did happen the other night, Wednesday night to be exact. The United States taking on Honduras in World Cup qualifying. And good Lord, if you just watched the first half of that game, your hopes of making it to the 2022 World Cup were dashed. And there, this is the first three games in qualifying. And it just destroyed your will to live. They looked awful in that first half against Honduras. And that's saying it lightly. Very lightly. They were miserable in that first half against Honduras. Defensively, a mess. Couldn't get anything really going forward. Didn't really have a set formation. Pulisic was started on the left wing. I don't know what kind of formation they were running. They, it looked like they were fluctuating between like a 5-2-3 and a 5-3-2. Don't really know what they were running because players were just all over the place. But then the second half came. Berhalter made three substitutions because nothing was working. Brought in Sebastian Legette, Anthony Robinson, 
And who was the last substitution the United States made in the first half? Because Christian Roldan came on later for Christian Pulisic, who got left the game injured. Who was the other substitution? It, it doesn't really matter. But the United States came back after being down one nothing, and then struck early in the second half. Sebastian Legette plays the ball into the box. Uh, Ricardo Pepe couldn't get to the ball. Anthony Robinson waits perfectly and slices it home with his right foot, just places it in the bottom corner. Well, not really bottom, but just in the corner of the goal. Great goal from Anthony Robinson. The natural left-footed player looked really good with his right foot there. And then after that, the United States went on the front foot. Ricardo Pepe scored a goal in the 75th minute. Then Brendan Aronson, one of my favorite players, it was Brendan Aronson, came on. One of my favorite players on this team scored in the 86th minute. And then Sebastian Legette scored in the 93rd minute of the game to seal it off 4-1. And now, they went from not even being in the conversation of the top three spots to being in second on goal difference. Five points, got four goals in this game. It's a plus three goal difference, I think. If I'm not mistaken, could be wrong about that, but I believe it's a plus three goal difference. They looked completely different in the second half. And this is without a Christian Pulisic, without Weston McKinney, without Giovanni Reina, without Serginio Dest, without some of their best players. John Brooks got substituted after halftime because he looked so bad. Or is it James Sands? Like, James Sands start? I can't really... No, James Sands started. Never mind. But completely different team. Like one of my friends, note who I just brought up a little bit ago, he started getting in the United States. He started getting into soccer a lot over the past few years. And I've been kind of like his guide a little bit. Where it's like you have a puppy and you've got him on a leash. You start walking him on a leash. You show him all these things. You start off and then you can let them go because you trust them enough to know what to do and what not to do. And I've let him off the leash, and now he's just going freely. And this has been for the past, like, year or so, two years. And we watched the United States. Now, he, we didn't watch together last night. But before the game, on Twitter, I don't remember exactly what he sent to me. I'm going to my DMs right now. So it was another one. Jonathan David doubles the lead. Canada was up against El Salvador 2-0. They ended up winning the game. And Noah said, not what you want to see. And I said, definitely not ideal. Then he said, is it too early to hit the panic button? And me, being a pessimistic person in general, and being a fan of the United States national team my entire life, and watching what happened in 2018 or 2017 when they lost to Trinidad and Tobago and missed the World Cup, if it, you told me before 2017 the United States would be, happen to miss a World Cup, I would have called you crazy. But now that seed's been planted in my head, I'm never going to rule out that possibility anymore. Because that's what I did. I ruled out the possibility of the U.S. ever missing a World Cup especially losing to a team that is last in the group in Trinidad and Tobago. And Panama, who has pushed the United States a lot over these past couple years, just forever, the Panama national team has always played the United States hard. Honduras has always played the United States very, very hard. But they should not be missing a World Cup to Panama. That should not happen. If you watched Panama in the 2018 World Cup and thought that was a better team than the United States, which that's crazy. But the United States is not in a good spot right there. Michael Bradley was still playing. That's a sad spot to be in. <laughs> Bruce Arena tarnished his legacy as a U.S. manager. Now he's back with the New England Revolution and they're doing well. But at that time, his legacy from being the LA Galaxy coach who won all these MLS Cups for the United States head coach, it was like, wow, that's the coach that helped the United States. Not helped, led the U.S. to missing the World Cup in 2018. So me already, like I said, being a pessimistic person and pessimistic fan 
And knowing that it's possible of them missing the World Cup, I said it's all right time to hit it sadly because I was nervous. Watching them against Canada or against Mexico in the CONCACAF Nations League final and in the, Con- in the Gold Cup final, they take things late. The United States, over their big games, have taken things very, very, very late. Apart from that game against Canada in the group stage of the Gold Cup where they scored in 20 seconds. Like, in the big games, usually, they've taken it really late. You look at the knockout stage in the Gold Cup against Qatar, Jamaica. Late go- late goals. Late, late goals. Against Honduras in the CONCACAF Nation League final. Late goal. Against New Mexico in the Champions League final. CONCACAF Nations League final, not the Champions League final. Penalty in extra time. Late penalty save. Against Mexico in the Gold Cup. Late goal in extra time. Again. They take these things super late, and it scares me taking these the, that late, which it shouldn't on one hand because it's like, oh, they have all this fight. They're not going to give up anytime soon. But on the other hand, why are you not doing this earlier? And Taylor Twelman, I believe it was, said a couple days ago, this is the worst striker, weakest striker core they've had in a very, very long time. And I would argue you don't have the figurehead, like over these past few years or the past decade or whatever, you had Josie Altador. The depth behind Josie Altador was atrocious. I would not take Robbie Finley over any of these forwards they have now. I wouldn't take Edison Buttle. I wouldn't take who else did they have? Juan Agatello. I wouldn't take these guys over. U.S. national team version of Chris Wondolowski would not take those guys over anybody they have now. Chris Wondolowski would be the main number nine for the United States. And you saw how he played for the United States men's national team. You would know that's not a great thing. MLS, Chris Wondolowski, is the greatest goal scorer in MLS history. The United States version of Chris Wondolowski, you wouldn't know he's ever scored a goal in his life. I don't know what it is. The pressure of wearing their national team shirt, maybe that's added. I mean, it's obviously going to be added pressure, but not missing like that. Aaron Johansson, like these guys, the only person you'd start over any of them is Clint Dempsey because he's the freaking GOAT. That's obvious. We don't need to state Clint Dempsey. Josie Altador. Yeah. Even though I've criticized him in the past and how the lack of depth in the United States striker force, strike force has caused him to play a lot more games than what he probably should have for the United States. If you look at the season in Sunderland where he scored one goal, that shouldn't be your main number nine for your national team. But the U.S. just had no other options back then. The U.S. has options. There's just not that main guy. Like, the depth back then is worse than what it is right now. There's just not one guy that's taking the mantle and going, this is my spot. I still think Jassy's art is the best striker the United States have. And I'm not very confident in that. But I think he's better than Josh Sargent, who's just very young, but he doesn't have a goal-scoring touch. Daryl DK is a very fun player to watch, but he's inconsistent. Jordan Pifuk, or Jordan Siabachu, I don't know which one he goes by anymore. He has Pifuk on his jersey. I don't know what he goes by Versatile, plays hard, not an insane goal-scoring touch. Matthew Hoppy's very versatile, but very young, showed flash in the Gold Cup. And then Ricardo Pepe can kind of play everywhere on the front line. So I don't know if you'd list him as a natural striker or not, but he played well in the moments he did play as a number nine for the United States last night. Because it looked like they pushed Josh Sargent out right at times throughout the game against Honduras, and Pepe being that main central guy. I don't know if that's going to stay a thing, but... That was a thing they ran last night. Am I forgetting anybody in this whole mix? I don't think so. Timothy Weah, but he's not even really a striker. Like, the depth is there. 
They just need a guy to take it and run with it, which has been a struggle. Because the rest of the team, you feel fairly confident in. You just don't know who that main striker is. Like, I think most people can fill out a starting 11 fairly easily, except for striker, which I would throw Zardes in there. But that's just me. That's not. I'm not speaking for everybody here. I think some people really like Josh Sargent. And I think it's really... If we're talking about just strikers going forward right now, now again, Ricardo Pepe could definitely be in the mix. He's played very, he played very, very, he was a man of the match in his first ever United States men's national team game and scored a goal that won the game for the United States. Yeah, they won 4 nothing, four to 1, but that, game, that goal he scored in the 75th minute won the game. Big time performance in a hostile environment in a tough CONCACAF gold, uh, goal, geez, CONCACAF qualifying group. Which people, I think, take for granted. Traveling to these countries like El Salvador and Honduras, these are tough games. And for a team that had an average age like 23 years old, that's a big ass to go in there and get a huge win like that. That can be a very overwhelming presence for players that are inexperienced like that. But you also have the case of they're they're inexperienced. They don't know what pressure feels like yet. So maybe they go out there and just play carefree, which is really good, which is what we saw Ricardo Pepe do last night or Wednesday night. (laughs) Great stuff in the second half. Good Lord. Great, great stuff in the second half. Don't know where it came from, but they have that in them. They have that grit, which is very nice to see, and they have this talent in there. They just need to go out there and prove it consistently, which is what people are upset about when you look at the United States men's national team. Consistency. I don't think Greg Berhalter necessarily knows his best formation. I don't know if he even knows what his best defense looks like. He doesn't even know who's number one is anymore. Because the more Zach Steffen doesn't play, the more Matt Turner looks like to be the number one guy. Zach Steffen hasn't played in forever, and it's things out of his control here. Like, he just got COVID, so he missed World Cup qualifying here, which was big. I don't know how Berhalter would have rotated the two, because they'd obviously be rotating, because they're competing for the number one spot. But the best ability is availability. doesn't matter what you're battling, whether it's injury or sickness or whatever. If he's not there, you're not competing for your spot and Turner keeps playing well. It's hard not to say Matt Turner's the number one guy, but I'm still in the mind that Zach Steffen's the number one until he loses it. And Zach Steffen hasn't done anything to lose it. I think Matt Turner's done a great job in getting the number one spot and getting the conversation Zach just hasn't done anything in my mind to lose the job yet, other than be injured in the the Nations League final, not play in the Gold Cup because he's at European stuff, and have COVID during qualifying. So I'm wishy-washy with the whole thing. Matt Turner's played amazing, but he doesn't know who his starting goalie is. He doesn't know who his starting center back is next to John Brooks, who I think should be Miles Robinson, but that's just my opinion on the matter. I know people argue Chris Richards in there, back three, with Mark McKenzie, Tim Ream also be mentioned in there, James Sands, uh, Aaron Long, Walker Zimmerman will also be brought up in that car- that category. The wingbacks, don't, you know who the three people are they're going to start. It's Dest, Yedlin, and Anthony Robinson, but you don't know which ones are going to start. Dest is almost nailed on the start every time. Whether it be right or left back, it's just the other one who starts next to him. Midfield's locked. Wingers, generally locked. Striker, and the center back partner for John Brooks. And I guess goalie, because we don't know if Zach Steffen or Matt Turner is the number one guy. But yeah, second place in the group now, which is very big. You're right behind Mexico has seven points. The United States have a plus three goal differential sitting in second. Canada is in third, also with a plus three. 
Panama's in fourth with a plus three. Costa Rica in fifth. Now, so if you were just hearing me say plus three, USA, Canada, and Panama are all tied on five points. Costa Rica has two points. Honduras has two. El Salvador has two. And Jamaica has one. And they just lost to somebody 3 nothing. but I don't remember. I think it was Costa Rica. No, they only have two goals scored for them or one goal scored. Who did they lose to 3-1 or 3 nothing? Was it Panama? Ah, it might be. But yeah, this, this qualifying group, the hexagonal for the United States, it's tough. People kind of take that for granted. I don't know. I think it's just because of the size of the United States and how arrogant Americans can be over a lot of things to where it goes, oh, you should obviously be winning this group all the time. You're not playing San Marino or Liechtenstein or Luxembourg or all these other tiny, tiny little countries. Isle of Man. I don't know if they actually play in these. Gibraltar. You're not playing these countries. These are hostile environments. They don't have 10 people going to the games. Like England going to San Marino is an absolute joke. For how good England coached through World Cup qualifying, they get handed the easiest draws because there's so many countries in Europe, you get very easy opponents. For CONCACAF, in the Gold Cup, because it's in the United States, makes it easy for the United States and Mexico. Once you go down to those smaller countries, you start to get a little bit of, wow, this is a little tougher. The Gold Cup is spoon-feed to the United States wins, and Mexico wins. But not World Cup qualifying. And we've seen that. Like, remember the last time we said they played El Salvador? They won 6-0. And then they drew 0-0. That is completely different. Going down there is tough. And a World Cup qualifier is way different than a friendly in regards to atmosphere. Oh, man. But exciting times. Exciting. I mean, back in the World Cup qualifying top, back in second, which is big. Because, again... I was nervous. They did not play well against Canada. They did not play well against El Salvador. And they sure as hell didn't play well in the first half. That was the worst first half I've seen in a very long time for the United States. Very long time. It was that bad. They were literally asking Clint Dempsey in the booth if he could go out there and play. And Clint, being modest, saying he could probably get 15 minutes. And I agree with that. Clint Dempsey's the freaking GOAT. He could do that if he really wanted to. I hear arguments for Landon Donovan. He's the greatest MLS player of all time. Clint Dempsey's the best American soccer player of all time. I hear arguments for both. Clint Dempsey was the reason I wore number eight. I know a lot of people will go, I wore number eight because of Kobe. I wore it because Clint Dempsey. I really wanted number five because LaDainian Tomlinson wore number five in college. Drew Tate was number five. So I wanted number five. Couldn't get it. I was like, well, I'll take Clint Dempsey's number, number eight. Sick number. My favorite number, number eight. So I'm really glad number five was taken because I don't know if I would be wearing number five right or number eight like I do. And right now it looks like the Cowboys are driving. Fourth quarter, 151 left in the game. Cowboys have the ball. Getting dicey. Dak Prescott has 57 passes and almost 400 yards in his first game since snapping his ankle. Good freaking lord. CeeDee Lamb had a very, very nice play. And they're getting in the field goal range. And Nick Zerline has not played particularly well this game. Nick Zer- Greg Zerline has not looked great this game. They Cowboys should already have this game wrapped up, to be honest with you. Greg Zerline didn't miss the extra point, didn't miss two field goals. One of them was 60 yards, so we'll give him the benefit of the doubt on the 60-yarder. But the 31-yarder, uh, and he had one leg that was 20 yards out that he almost missed as well. Oh, my goodness. But, yeah, United States... 
Good stuff. Get a big dub in the second half. 4-1. Ricardo Pepe, man of the match. Great stuff. Love seeing that from him. Hopefully, he keeps it up for the United States. He's looking freaking awesome in the MLS for FC Dallas, who just have a conveyor belt of talent in their youth ranks. Look at all the great players FC Dallas has brought out. You just name a few. You got Weston McKinney, Reggie Cannon, Brian Reynolds is over there at Roma right now, and now Ricardo Pepe. And Walker Zimmerman's another one who's been playing for the United States for a while. You got a ton of insane players coming through that youth system. And I don't know what it, and Chris Richards, I believe, is another one. And they have this like agreement with Bayern Munich, so Ricardo Pepe could be playing for Bayern Munich soon. Or Hoffenheim, because like, <laughs> it's really hard to get playing time at Bayern Munich because they just buy their rival's best players, which is one of the weirdest things I've ever seen and how it's so accepted over in Germany, how that Bayern Munich just buy everybody's best players. And it's just no big deal. The only time I can really remember it being a big deal was when they bought Mario Goza and he couldn't play in the Champions League final against Bayern Munich because he was officially their player while Dortmund was playing Bayern Munich and he couldn't play while he was one of the best players for Dortmund. That's where I saw the most issue with it. But like even when Robert Lewandowski left for a freaking free, Dortmund's biggest rivals apart from Schalke, he goes to Bayern Munich and kills Dortmund. Now Dortmund still puts up a fight against Bayern Munich, but Lewandowski scores a shit ton of goals. And then Bayer Leverkusen, or uh, RB Leipzig, Julian Nagelsmann, their coach, goes to Bayern. Dio Upamecano, their best defender, goes to Bayern. Marcel Sabitzer, their captain and best midfielder, apart from Emil Forsberg, goes to Bayern. How is this ever allowed? Sebastian Rudy went from Hoffenheim, I believe, to Bayern Munich, did nothing. Leon Goretzka from Schalke, Bayern Munich, nothing. Uh... Manuel Neuer, Schalke to Bayern. I believe that one had some controversy around it, but nothing massive. What other players do we have? Matt Hummels went from Bayern to Dortmund to Bayern to Dortmund again because he started off in Bayern's Youth Academy, if I'm not mistaken. Just buying all everybody's best players. Thomas Muller is a full-bred Bayern Munich player. Serge Gnabry, another Bundesliga player. I don't remember where exactly he came from, a green team, but I don't remember what it was. Ah, oh, crap. It wasn't Wolfsburg. I can't remember. It's just insane how that league works, and it's just, like, accepted. Like, you heard me a couple weeks ago freak out because Cristiano Ronaldo almost joined Man City, and he didn't even join from Man United to Man City. It was just the fact he was going to Man City. But you go from Dortmund to Bayern or RB Leipzig to Bayern. RB Leipzig just finished second, and Bayern Munich just started three of their top people. That's ridiculous. I don't understand how that's so, like, just out there and it's fine. I don't I don't get it. I don't understand. It's really weird to me. And the Cowboys are now up 29 to 28, a minute 24 left in the game, or a minute... Whoa, what happened? I just refreshed it, and now the field goal's off. What happened? It was... Tw- okay, now it's back to 29. <laughs> I refreshed it, and everything went away. Dak Prescott, 42 of 58, 403 yards, three touchdowns. Monster stuff from Dak Prescott in his first game. Brad. Tom Brady, 40 passes. At 44 years old, 40 passes. He's going to have to throw some more for the Bucks to get back in this game. Down by one with a minute 24 left. Really surprised by this. Really surprised by week one in the NFL. Did not think. I said on Wednesday I thought the Bucks would cover. The line there was eight. And then it moved to eight and a half today I saw. I am really surprised. I'm really impressed with the Cowboys' defense. I did not think they'd be playing as good as they are right now. They're playing really well. For college football, 
we're talking about, we'll keep you up to date on the Cowboys versus Bucks. I mean, you already know what's going to happen in the game, but this is just for me. Some excitement for Logan as he's trying to get through this show, trying not to do another hour and a half show. But I never know how this goes. I go into every show not trying to do an hour and a half show, yet I still somehow manage to do it. And I apologize. Well, I, I don't. It's pretty entertaining, but it sucks because I don't get any freaking sleep. I never get sleep anymore. I'm running on like freaking fumes right now. I'm running on like five hours of sleep. Working a full 11 and a half hour day and then coming home watching football and then doing a freaking show at 10 o'clock at night. Health-wise, not ideal. But I haven't done a show. I don't want to do a week where I just do one show. And I hadn't done a show two of the last three days. So I needed to get something out there. And so far, in my opinion, this show's not the worst show ever. I'm pleasantly surprised by that. But yeah, uh, it's nice to be back, but it's very exhausting. I know it's not like the hardest thing to do in the world, but it's not easy. It's very taxing, not really on like physical labor, mental and uh, sleep deprivation. <laughs> it's a very big thing. But yeah, college football, we've got some, I almost said good games. We've got some games this week, nothing near like last week. We don't have a shit ton of top 25 matches. We don't have Alabama, Miami, Clemson, Georgia. Notre Dame, Florida State, even though that wasn't a top 25 matchup, it's still a big game. Indiana, Iowa, you don't have these games this week. Well, obviously, because they just played week one. But you don't have those level of games this week. The big games this week, there's two of them. Iowa State, Iowa, Ohio State, Oregon. And there's probably some other games I'm not giving a lot of love to. That'll probably be nice games. But overall, you've got like Alabama playing Mercer, Clemson playing South Carolina State, Oklahoma playing Western Carolina, North Carolina versus Georgia State. Jeez. Uh, There's just not a lot of fun games this weekend. But you know what? It's college football. So we'll all watch because that's just what we do. We have freaking Kansas versus Coastal Carolina. And again, Coastal Carolina is 26.5 point favorite. That's insane. The <laughs> Sunbelt team is a 26.5 point favorite against a Big 12 team. Now, I get that Big 12 team's Kansas, but that's still freaking ridiculous but one thing like this is really big for Iowa and Iowa State because again I I could be wrong about this I think it's the first time both two both teams have been top 10 opponents or top 10 at the same time playing each other I think it might be I could be wrong about this as well but I'm open to be wrong about it Iowa State's first time being ranked at the top 10 playing a top 10 team at home I could be wrong about that as well but who knows it's exciting stuff and if you look at all the teams out there in America in college football, all the big recruiting states you have, like Florida, Texas, California, just to name a few, and two teams in the state of Iowa are ranked in the top 10. The only other state to have two teams in the top 10 is Ohio, with Ohio State and Cincinnati. That is insane. Florida, don't have it. Texas, don't have it. California, don't have it. Iowa and Ohio have two teams in the top 10. Only team, only states in the country that have that. That is ridiculous. Now, I've said this Wednesday. I said it after the game Saturday. I said it Sunday. I've said it every day up until the ratings got released. I was pretty surprised Iowa raised as much as they did. But looking at it, you won a big top 25 matchup against a team that was ranked higher than you by a lot of points. Defense played really, really well. So you raised eight spots. Teams in front of you lost as well. They were going to drop. North Carolina, Miami were going to drop. Wisconsin was going to drop. 
I didn't think Iowa would raise this much. I was surprised Penn State raised as high as they did as well. They raised eight spots as well, or nine spots. So I was kind of surprised by that, but I'm all for it. I'm all for it. The line's progressively gotten smaller, and I think most Iowa fans out there can agree. You're feeling a lot more confident about this game right now than what you did this time two weeks ago. After watching Iowa versus Indiana, you have a newfound confidence that you didn't have. Going into this game, at the start of the season, before the season even started, I guess, even Saturday morning before Iowa-Indiana took place, you were like, Iowa State's going to win. I remember talking to one of my friend's dads before the game, and he said, I want to go out this week, or going to week three, one and one. He doesn't know which one they want to lose or which one they're going to lose, but he did say that he would rather win Indiana because it's a Big Ten game. Iowa State would mean more for the rivalry, but if we're talking about what could get you to the college football playoff, losing to Iowa State won't do that. Beat Losing to Indiana would keep you out of the Big Ten championship, would keep you out of the potential playoff. I guess I shouldn't say that like Iowa's actually going to go to the college football playoff. They could, but I'm really doubting it. Iowa's offense is not that great, so I'm not really expecting it. But hey, stranger things have happened. Stranger things have definitely happened. Hell, remember Washington went to the college football playoff? They just lost to Montana <laughs> for the first time in a hundred years. They lost to Montana. Can you believe that? This is a team that was just in the college football playoff not too long ago. And they're losing to Montana. And Montana, fair play to them, a really, really good FCS team. So it's not like they're a bunch of scrubs up north. No, that team can play some football up there in oh, Missoula. I think that's where they play. No, Missoula is in Michigan. I'm just, I don't know where I'm saying anymore. But Iowa State, awesome game. College game day is going to be there as well. Trying to predict the college football game day guest picker, my ideal candidate, because people want to throw out, it's a, a celebrity. Now, I get the idea of having like Dan McCarney, Seneca Wallace, Dan Gable, those people. If you're trying to get in a national audience, those are big time people in sports, in the state of Iowa especially. Not a lot of people nationally care. I don't think there's people down in Wyoming that care that Dan McCarney is on college football game day as a guest picker. That doesn't really matter. Dan McCarney is a legend of the state of Iowa. Coached Iowa State, played at Iowa. Like, legend of the state of Iowa. Seneca Wallace, until Brock Purdy was there, was the greatest quarterback in Iowa State history. Dan Gable? I mean, we don't need to really say a lot about Dan Gable here in the state of Iowa, but these guys are not national celebrities they'll bring in a lot of attention like last time it was in Ames you had Eric Church who had a loose connection with Iowa with CJ Beathard's brother Tucker Beathard writing songs with Eric Church that is as loose as you get because they try to get some sort of connection with the team now there's a few country singers that are going to be playing in the state Friday like Luke Bryan's going to be in Cedar Rapids there was one more I think is going to be in Des Moines but I could be completely wrong about that there's one more country singer that I can't remember they were getting talked about as guest picker. The one that I want, he doesn't have a connection born and bred in the state of Iowa or really, to my knowledge, have any connections to the universities, but Kevin Costner, I think would be perfect because of the fact we just had the Field of Dreams game and it was the most watched baseball game in 16 years. That's a big time celebrity. Field of Dreams is one of the greatest sports movies of all time. And me being an Iowan, obviously I'm going to be a little biased towards that, but that movie is awesome. I don't even... There's people... You don't have this game if it's not a big-time movie. You don't have, oh, this Iowa cult legend, cult, cult film, 
we're going to play a major league regular season baseball game there. Regular season. I can't stress that enough. Not some random preseason game like we usually get here in the state of Iowa. A regular season teams competing for playoff spots game. White Sox Yankees. Next year we got Cubs Reds. So if you want to watch more playoff contention, I don't recommend that will be a game for you. But it'll be fun nonetheless because me being a Cubs fan, the Iowa Cubs being here, that one's going to get a lot of people there. But man, Kevin Costner be cool. Uh, Aquaman. I can't remember. Why am I forgetting his name? Jason Momoa. I was completely blanking on his name there. He'd be another one I'd be interested in there as well. He's from Norwalk. Be a big name celebrity there. He's got a show coming out, I believe, or he's on a show right now. He'd be a really good guest on there. Likeable, very likable person. You get the female demographic in there as well. But I would do Kevin Costner. Country singer is going to be mentioned in there. Luke Bryan's a very plausible one for him being in Cedar Rapids. I could be wrong. It's just a country singer in Cedar Rapids. My parents are going to go see him on Saturdays or Friday night. So who knows? Maybe Eric Church is even back. What other famous people are there in the state of Iowa? Ricky Stanzi? <laughs> we could have him. But I'd like to do something connected to Iowa State since it's in Ames. But you don't really have a lot of like worldwide famous people that would draw a bigger audience that went to Iowa State. Ashton Kutcher, but that'd be an Iowa guy. You wouldn't want Ashton Kutcher, big-time Iowa Hawkeye fan, to be a guest picker at Iowa State. Now, we could do that. I'd be really down to have got Ashton Kutcher there because he's awesome. <laughs> Who doesn't love Ashton Kutcher? But Iowa dude, not Iowa State guy. I think Kevin Costner, impartial dude, has a... I, I almost said world famous. I don't know if The Field of Dreams is world famous. Extremely famous sports movie. Based in Iowa, he just had the Field of Dreams game. Kevin Costner, to me, is the perfect guest picker for Saturday's game. And unfortunately, at this point in time, I don't have tickets to the game. And good lord, the Buccaneers just scored. And are now at 31-29 to 29 with nine, with two seconds left. So they didn't cover. The Bucs did not cover in this game. But hey, crazy things have happened. Maybe the Cowboys get a last-second touchdown. Who knows? Hey, they invented the Hail Mary. Roger Staubach to Drew Pearson, I believe it was to Drew Pearson, against the Vikings. Hail Mary. Roger Staubach just threw it up, said Hail Mary, and it got completed and scored a touchdown. Questionable non-pass interference call on that play, but we move. The play still got invented by the Cowboys, so maybe it happens again. Oh, man, but Iowa State's going to be freaking awesome. The game's always fun for the state of Iowa. I mean, for years, and I'm talking years, this game was very one-sided. And I'm not talking about just on the field, but fan perception of it as well. There was a while where this game didn't really mean a lot to Iowa, but it meant everything to Iowa State because of the gulf between the two teams. And yes, I said gulf. Like Iowa, the, we talked about this before. The year Iowa went to the Orange Bowl and got smacked by USC, the game that kept them out of the national championship game against Miami down in Phoenix was the loss to Iowa State. Like, Iowa State, I think, went 3-9 and nine that year. 3-8, and eight, I don't remember. There were some weird 11-game schedules back then. But that was the game that kept them out. There was a massive gulf between the universities for a while. The one thing that kept Paul Rhodes in the job at Iowa State for so long is because he could beat Iowa. Not a great head coach. Very rah-rah guy, but not a great head coach. But he could beat Iowa. So he would be the head coach there. Still. And then ultimately that got taxing you're like okay this team stinks we get you can beat Iowa which is all fine and dandy but you can't beat any other team you have the odd win against I think Nebraska you beat Oklahoma State which was really cool to see number two ranked Oklahoma State names 
I don't know if they beat Oklahoma with him there. I know I well, I know Oklahoma State for sure. Nebraska, I think, was a big one on the road. Because I was the stupid, I'm so proud to be your coach thing. <laughs> oh, man, Paul Rhodes, what a dude. And the Buccaneers officially won 39-29. But you, 31-29, but you obviously already know that because you, you lived it. <laughs> you were listening to this. Right now, the game's already been over. But now, Iowa State, this is like Manchester City versus Manchester United. We brought this up before. We brought this up before about how it'll take a long time before Iowa State is bigger than Iowa, so to say. But Iowa State is better than Iowa right now. Man City, it'll take a while for them to be better than Manchester United or bigger than Manchester United. But they're better. Now, there's obviously a sorting of the uh, like the distance between the two teams because of Cristiano Ronaldo coming, Jaden Sancho, Rafael Varane. Big additions like that. City only signing Jack Relish, And I think Scott Carson back as a third-choice goalie. That gap's gotten shorter. But not necessarily as, like, if you look at the grand scheme of things, Manchester United for years will be a bigger team. Man City was just getting relegated 20 years ago. It's like the third division. Like, it wasn't any, this wasn't like 50 years ago Man City was awful and then they started getting good. No, this is about 12, 13 years Man City started getting good. Iowa State started getting good five years ago. So this is a thing that will take time. I'm not saying it's impossible for Iowa State to eventually pass Iowa, but it's going to take some time. But they are definitely better than Iowa. They have recruiting polls against Iowa, which is good for Iowa State. Now this game is turning into, wow, this is a game neither one of these teams want to lose. Iowa State, for years, when I was younger, was going into the game going, man, it'd be awesome to beat Iowa. But I'm not expecting to win. That's what Iowa State fans can go all defensive they want about that. That's how it was for years when I was a kid. You did not go into that game expecting to beat Iowa. Iowa didn't go into that game expecting to lose to Iowa State. But if it happened, it was insane if it happened. I'll never forget when Iowa State won like 23-3 to when Drew Tate was the quarterback there in Ames. That was insane. I think it was the year after they won the L- the the Capital One Bowl with Warren Holloway against LSU. I think it was the year after that. Got beat pretty good in Ames. I don't remember what the kickers, but it was on the front page, like insane size in the Des Moines Register. Iowa State beating uh, Iowa in Kinnick Stadium. <sighs> no, when they wore those disgusting red uniforms, and Iowa wore those. I'm not. We're going to talk about Iowa State's bad uniforms. Iowa wearing the gold uniforms or like the wings on the side or whatever they were. But this was not normal. Iowa State wasn't supposed to beat Iowa. Iowa was never supposed to lose to Iowa State. Now it's gotten to the point of, this is fun. This is heat up. Like year, 10 years ago, would you have said Iowa State would be hosting college game day playing Iowa? No. 10 years ago... Or let's go 12, because that's when Iowa was in the Orange Bowl, just to make this better. Iowa was in the Orange Bowl and schlacked Iowa State 42-3. to Or something like that. I was at the game. I don't remember. That was my first Iowa-Iowa State game. and I No, first one. Because I went to one in Iowa City, which Iowa State won. On a Cole Netton, I think that was their kicker at the time, field goal. But you'd never have college football game day there. When Ricky Stansy was the quarterback... It was never close. Those games were awful. Sean Green running over Iowa State defenders. Now it's a game. They've got the better quarterback. They've got the better running back. Defense, 50-50. They got the better edge rusher. They got a better linebacker. Secondary, I would give that to Iowa. 
But Mike Rose, Will McDonald are better than Iowa's people. Which isn't saying a lot because Will McDonald and Mike Rose are very, very good football players. I mean, they don't have anybody to standard of Tyler Linderbaum, but Brees Hall, Brock Purdy, the three I just mentioned, big-time players. And Iowa State ranked ninth. And for the people, we talked about this a little bit, bet the over on I or um, bet on Iowa State to cover against you and I. have never watched Iowa State, you and I, or ever watched Iowa State week one. Iowa State does not do anything week one under Matt Campbell. Never have. They've been outscored by their opponents week one since Matt Campbell's been there. Been there. They do not like to do anything week one. And you and I always plays them tough. You and I is a very tough opponent, very gritty opponent, very good defensively. Offensively, got some question marks, but defensively, Farley's always got the team in check. Iowa sometimes tends to blow their load week one, but they've had some games where, like, against North Dakota State, they lost. Central or Northern Illinois, Jake Rudock's first year, almost lost to UNI the year they went to the Orange Bowl. Those games are to come and go, but they sometimes just explode week one. Like this year, 34 to 6 against Indiana. Oh, my goodness. Great stuff. Great Iowa State stuff. I uh, the the cover the line is four and a half for Iowa State. I think Iowa covers. Do I think they win? I have a lot of questions offensively for Iowa. Most obviously in the past game, we went on like a ten minute rant about the past game last time. I don't like Spencer Petrus. I've made that abundantly clear. I like Tyler. I like Tyrone Tracy. I like Sam Laporte. I like Tyler Goodson. I like Tyler Linderbaum. I don't like Petrus. And if your quarterback's got question marks, your offense isn't that great. Unless your defense is godly. Like the 2000 Ravens with Trent Dilfer at quarterback. And Jamal Lewis at running back. Like you have those things where it's like, okay, yeah, this is fine. We can work with this. <laughs> Shannon Sharp at tight end. You have things you can work with. There. I think Mark Clayton was at wide receiver then. But Petrus is not that great. He's not that guy. You're not that guy, pal. Trust me. You're not that guy. Are you? Most definitely. I mean, I'm not <laughs> I'm not that quarterback either, but it'll be fun. That's all I'm really going to say. I mean, I've talked about 15, 20, or 10, 15 minutes about this whole thing. It'll be fun. Iowa State will be a very, very fun game. Other big games, we talked about Oregon-Ohio State. Ohio State's a 14.5-point favorite. Kayvon Thibodeau had an ankle injury first week against Fresno State, and Oregon did not look great against Fresno State. And Ohio State looked really good in the second half against Minnesota. Like, really good. Their big-name players all made big-time plays in the second half. And C.J. Stroud, playing in his first-ever college football game, played a lot better as the game went on. His first-ever start against a Big Ten team on the road on Thursday night with rain played really, really well in the second half. Didn't look great at the start, but looked really good in the second half. And I got an I don't. I don't know if you guys follow me on Twitter or not, but if you don't, uh, Logan underscore Blackman's my Twitter account. I always get, it's not like always, I'll sometimes post something and then a guy will respond. You remember the Matt Corral situation we had a few months ago where the guy was going off on me and why Matt Corral was so low, but it, again, it's subject to change. It's not a nailed on list. I'm not afraid of being wrong. If he goes off, I'll move him up the list. That's not an issue. So I did my week two Heisman or post-week one, pre-week two Heisman rankings. So I thought this was pretty self-explanatory. I thought it was a pretty simple list. At the top of the list, I'll just read you the top three. Bryce Young, who we've talked about forever. So if you've listened to the show or know me, you know how much we've loved Bryce Young forever. 
Number two, C.J. Stroud. Number three, Spencer Rattler. This guy comes at me today on Twitter talking about, and I, I the part that really threw me off with this whole ordeal is the fact that he said, how the utter hell is Stroud that high? How the utter hell? Have you ever watched, did you watch him play? Or did you just see the stat line and go, oh, well, he didn't play, he didn't complete a high percent of his passes, 13 of 22. That's not very impressive. Against Minnesota, that's not great. Utter hell. That, that triggered me a little bit. You always have some, like, buzzwords. When you make something like this, or you try to do something like a list, or just try to put your opinion out there, and someone comes at you like, utter, what the hell are you talking about? That's an issue I have. That was the same thing with the Matt Corral thing. And we had no issues defending our list then, and I had no issues defending it today. And he also came back, same for DJU, Clemson's quarterback, for those of you unaware. Bowers will not forget he threw 37 passes for 178 yards and no TDs against that elite defense. Yeah, you said it right there. Georgia's got an elite defense. <laughs> I don't care what he does against the weak ACC. Against that elite defense. He threw, he threw for 178 yards against an elite defense. That yeah, that's what most people do against elite defenses. They struggle. Doesn't matter how good you are, teams will struggle against elite defenses. That's just how it magically works. So I came back with him and said, basically, so I responded to the Stroud thing because he's gonna put up really good numbers, he's gonna win a lot of games this season. I almost put a question mark to nail in, like, are you stupid? And then he said he's got the top two wide receivers in the 2022 class. Good tight end, solid running backs, and a good old line. Though he didn't amaze in the first half, he came in his own late, which is really matters. And he said, I just see Stroud as someone who'll get credit because of the pieces you ha- you mentioned. Mac Jones was never going to win the Heisman last year. Olave and Wilson will cannibalize themselves. I only see true, true options, Bryce, and y- Bryce Young and Rattler. Well, Mac Jones, the guy you just mentioned, though he was never going to win the Heisman, finished third in the Heisman voting. And you said, how the utter hell is Rattler second? Rattler, or Rattler, uh, C.J. Stroud. Stroud is not better than Mac Jones at this point. Stroud is way more talented than Mac Jones. I think even Mac Jones would say that. I'm not saying Bryce Young is the preparer. Jeez, I keep combining the quarterbacks. C.J. Stroud is the preparer, the, has the footwork that Bright, Mac Jones has, or as accurate as him. But you can just look at C.J. Stroud and just watch him play and see how he moves and know, wow, that dude's got a lot of talent in there. Let's just see if he figures it out. He looks really young. And then I said the same thing about DJU. Like, you bring up DJU not doing anything. <laughs> DJU is always going to be in the conversation, but he's not going to win it, which is why I have him at six. He's not even a finalist, but he still has to be talked about. Like, I had DJU at number six on this list because of the game against Georgia. But he's going to get mentioned again. It doesn't matter what you think about the ACC. He's going to put up great numbers and will get talked about. There were four Heisman finalists last year. DJU is sixth, okay? That <laughs> just because you have him in a top ten does not—they don't bring ten finalists normally. I think the one year like Trey Mason came to the Heisman ceremony, I think they had eight. I don't remember who won it that year, but it's Johnny Manziel's second year in college. So he comes at me with that, says, "How the hell is CJ Stroud that high?" Pretty much what triggered me there. And then, so yeah, Mac Jones still came third in the Heisman race, and they said he came back again. And said, I know it's just your picks, but Vegas disagrees with you. Bryce Young greater than Rattler equals Corral greater than Stroud. But you know what's funny about Vegas? Who, if you listen to Vegas odds, you're stupid. 
Just because Vegas says the odds are greater for them does not mean they're going to win it. The guy you bashed second was DJU, who they have third. And you said, Bright, how the hell is CJ Stroud that how the utter hell is CJ Stroud that high? They have him fifth. So three places, four places off, and you're freaking out at me about it? And then I came back with, because I saw that tweet, it was like, <laughs> Vegas disagrees with you too. You came out and said, how the hell is DJU that high? DJU's ranked third. They rank higher than you. And the thing that confused me the most about this thing was the fact that you cannot tell me. It's week two rankings, okay? You cannot tell me after week one, Rattler played better than CJ Stroud. You cannot tell me that. Watching both teams, let's just compare the two here. So Rattler winning the season is the clear-cut number one favorite to win the Heisman. I think 99% of people out there said he would win it, apart from diehard Alabama fans, diehard Ohio State fans, diehard Clemson fans. That's about it, because they all had quarterbacks that were going to get talked about. But most people said Rattler would win at week one, going into week one. Post-week one, where Rattler throws more interceptions than touchdowns, is at home against a team they're favored by 20 points and beats them by five. And you're telling me he played better and should be ranked higher off that performance than a kid in his first ever college start on the road against a Big Ten team on national television throwing four touchdowns? You're stupid. Okay? That's all I'm going to say about it. You're stupid. And that's why he stopped tweeting at me because I kept nailing that down. You cannot tell me Rattler played better than Stroud, which is why Rattler's third and Stroud is second. Rattler moved back two spots. Because he threw more picks than touchdowns against Tulane, beat Tulane by five. We can call it on the road, sure, because I guess Tulane was technically the home team, but they played at Oklahoma Stadium. There's nothing you can tell me about Rattler that happened week one that makes him better than C.J. Stroud. I think Rattler is insanely talented, but if we're talking about just pure Heisman race, you cannot say Stroud is worse than Rattler at this point. And who the hell are you even going to put above Stroud at this point other than Bryce Young? Like, Vegas also said Jameis Winston's more likely to win the MVP than Christian McCaffrey. How the hell does that make sense? Like, you're going to listen to Vegas on everything? Vegas also said Iowa State was going to beat you and I by 31 points. Did you bet on that, too? If we're just going to go all in on what Vegas is saying, why don't we just agree with everything they're doing? If you're just going to throw that at me and then not realize, oh, wait, I said DJ, you shouldn't be that high, and they have him at third. So my argument is null and void at that point. I don't give a shit about what Vegas says. It's not Vegas's list. This is my list. And you come at me with, how the hell is Stroud that high? Like, questioning what I know about the position or what I know about football. That pisses me off. So I came at his throat. And didn't miss. They always say, come at the king, you best not miss. And that's what happened. Another person missed again. I've rarely been hit and hurt from a Twitter post. Like when I say hurt, not like feelings hurt. Like, oh, there's a gash in me. Oh, he got me. He cut an arm off or something. No. I've come out of there not even really breaking a sweat. And that's not me trying to be cocky. I just know what the hell I'm talking about. I almost said the F word here. I've never said the F word on the show before. <laughs> I almost said it there because I'm so heated about this. It pisses me off. 
Oh, man. Stupid people. I mean, Twitter is not known for having the smartest people on the platform or the smartest people in the world on their platform. But at least if you're going to comment on something, at least know what kind of you're talking about here. Like trying to bring up Vegas while also saying, DJ, you shouldn't even be mentioned while they have him ranked third. And you're telling me Rattler against Tulane was better than Stroud against Minnesota. Okay. <laughs> like, you want to compare first starts, Rattler played Missouri State in his first ever college start. Stroud played Minnesota on the road <laughs> in his first ever college start on Thursday Night Football in front of the national audience. Not the easiest atmosphere to overcome. And you know, uh, I hate the argument also, I'd like to do this as well. You know what, receivers need a good quarterback to also play really well. Like, I don't think Stroud or uh, Wilson, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson would look as good if I was throwing them the football. Or Mr. Twitter person would throw them the ball. Quarterback does matter. I We've talked about how much I hate the term system quarterback. Wilson and, Garrett, Wilson and Alave are insane wide receivers, but you have to have a good quarterback to get them the ball. You can't have Logan Blackman from Urbandale, Iowa throwing the ball. They're not going to look as good. Having a quarterback the level of C.J. Stroud is going to do that. And I've talked about before, C.J. Stroud is going to have to have a good year to keep Quinn Ewers out of the starting job next year, in my opinion. Because this is the same exact situation we saw with Clemson and Kelly Bryant and Trevor Lawrence Bryant led them to a national championship, lost the job the next year. Stroud's coming in with the number one rated high school quarterback ever coming in. That's a lot of pressure. So if Stroud balls out, then he'll have the job. He's going to have to put up insane numbers and finish second in the Heisman to probably keep this job. That's a lot of pressure, but I think he's built for it. I really like C.J. Stroud. We talked about preseason. Stroud is going to go off. And when, like, this list, I had Stroud coming in as third. Like, the first, week one, I am third. He moved up one spot. Like, he was already super high on my list because <laughs> I thought he was going to go off. And he played well in the rain on the road against a Big Ten opponent while Rattler struggled against Tulane. <laughs> More interceptions than touchdowns. And you're trying to tell me he's a higher-rated Heisman candidate right now. Because, again, that is subject to change. I even said in the tweet, Rattler probably can and probably will jump Stroud at some point. Not week two. Not right now. As uh, Spencer Rattler goes into a game number two, playing against the super tough opponent known as Northwestern Carolina, Stroud's going in against number 12 Oregon. <laughs> so if Stroud goes off again, you best believe he's staying his ass at number two. And might move up to number one. No, he won't. Bryce Young played it insane football game week one. He's not moving up to number one, but good Lord. I hate when people come for the King and miss. It's like, you're just wasting my time. Okay. <laughs> I've been wrong before. I've lost debates before. We talked about my fantasy football thing last year. We were talking about the big 12 and I was like, it was really heated. And just because when you get subtweeted, or just said something about you without them actually saying your name, you get really pissed off. And I got really pissed off. And instead of using my brain and thinking logically, I thought emotionally and just reacted and calculated the combined records of Big 12 teams, which, if you didn't guess, is exactly even because the Big 12 is all playing each other. So, not the great... Like, I've lost debates before. I'm not... In, 
It's going to happen. Even though I might seem perfect. <laughs> I have be- done stupid things in sports debates before. But not like that. Not something I'm well-versed in, like quarterbacks. And again, I'm not saying I'm the greatest quarterback of all time. I'm far from it. But I know how to scout the position. I know what the position, what how a good quarterback is. And I know playing against a Big Ten team on the road in your first ever collegiate start is better than playing Tulane at home and lose, winning by five versus winning double digits against Minnesota. Now, they were a different team without Muhammad Ibrahim in there, who I haven't really heard what his injury is. All I know is something popped in his leg for sure. Don't know exactly what happened, but that was a big loss for Minnesota because Tanner Morgan's not the quarterback we thought he was when Minnesota was good a few years ago. He's not that good. He's not that good. But other big games we got this week, so obviously Ohio State-Oregon, 14.5-point favorite is Ohio State. Florida-USF and State game, I guess Florida should kill them, though. What other game? Texas A&M-Colorado? We're really scraping the barrel here for Week 2 matchups. <laughs> Texas-Arkansas could be kind of fun. BYU-Utah, if you want to stay up till midnight to watch a game. Stanford-USC, same thing. I mean... Not a lot of crazy top 25 matchups this week. Kansas Coast Carolina, 26 and a half is crazy for that game. But hey, it could happen. I'm not going to say it's not going to happen. Other big games we got. I'm just scrolling through the list right now, trying to see, trying to stay talking, stay up to date and active so we don't fall asleep listening to the show like I'm about to right now. And there's, I mean, UConn Purdue. <laughs> Purdue's 34 point favorites. Good freaking lord. Uh, Cincinnati, Murray State. I mean, if you want to watch good quarterback play, Desmond Ritter, baller. So you can have him wa- go off against Murray State. <laughs> Navy, Air Force. Could be fun. Air Force, six-point favorite on CBS. That's at 230. That'll be a very fun game to watch. Both triple option schools run it beautifully. Air Force is better than Navy, though. So as a person that grew up rooting for Navy, even though most of my family's in the Army, I really liked watching Ken Nia Montalolo and... Ricky Dobbs and all those quarterbacks. Keenan Reynolds was more recent. Malcolm Perry, another recent one. Kapaya Noah Kahuna Anata was another one. That was the quarterback I grew up watching. But I like watching Navy, but they're not better than Air. I'm expecting Air Force to win that one. Keep it going down the list. Who does Liberty play this week? That'll be a fun game to watch. Watch Malik Willis play some dominating football again. They play Troy. That'll be fun. 6 p.m. Central Time on ESPN Plus. If you want to watch Malik Willis, if you've You've heard me talk about him enough. You want to just go watch him for yourself. They play at Troy. Liberty's a four-point favorite, as they should be, because they got one of the best quarterbacks in the country that most people... Uh, there's some... The mo- I would say... I wouldn't say most people know who he is, but there should be a good percentage of people to know who he is because of how good of a quarterback he is, regardless of the size of school he, pl- the size of school he plays for. New Mexico, New Mexico State. Not on TV, unsurprisingly. <laughs> to re- I mean, New Mexico State is... The definition of trash. <laughs> They're bad. Oh, man. Not even on TV. Not even any. It didn't even have anything. Washington, Michigan, ABC. I mean, Washington trying to rebound from a really bad loss to Montana. Uh, first time in 100 years they lost to Montana. Montana, good team. But a top 20 team in the FBS should not be losing to Montana at home. And that's pretty much it. I mean, Idaho State, Nevada, if you want to watch Carson Strong tear up a team again, you can go watch that game, but it's not on TV. Don't know how you're going to watch it. You can go to the game, I guess. Nevada's at home if you want 9.30 Central Time, so 8.30, 7.30. I don't know what time zone they're working with in Nevada. I think they – are they Western Time or Pacific Time? 
So they're probably at 7.30. So prime time game for them. <laughs> Late night for us here. But there's some fun. I love college. Everybody loves college football. Everybody loves college football. Especially here in the state of Iowa. And if you love college football, you've got to love the NFL draft. I, I know. we got to talk about somewhat. And good freaking Lord, we're over an hour. This is exactly what we didn't want to happen. You know the, the old video? <laughs> it was a... Uh, Oh, what was it called? They put the child predator in a rocket and sent it to space, but they had the kid in there. This is exactly what we didn't want to happen. <laughs> Obviously, this is exactly what we didn't want to happen here. Oh my goodness. We're at over an hour. I wanted this to be a 10 minute show. <laughs> that was my plan. And we are going to die tomorrow. I might not do anything all weekend. I'll be sitting in my basement watching Iowa State probably. I ain't going anywhere near that game. <laughs> I do not have... The stamina for that game right now. But I released another list. The NFL mock draft, or the the draft expert is out with another rankings list. This is the week two quarterback prospect rankings list. I'm going to try and adjust this every single week because I think quarterback is the hardest, hardest position to learn in sports while also being one of the easier ones, at least for me because I played it my entire life, to scout. So for this, I released another top 10 list. And Kind of surprising, but yet unsurprisingly, the top 10 players stayed the exact same, but the order is different. So number one, I mean, Spencer Rattler is number three still in the Heisman race. The quarterbacks that are above him cannot go to the draft. He is clearly the number one quarterback in the draft. I thought it was very close between him and him, Howell, going into the season. Howell struggled against Virginia Tech. And we talked about this preseason, that it's going to take some time for Howell to get to the swing of things of being with these new receivers. That's what we wanted. Or not what we wanted, but we talked about that. And that's what it showed against Virginia Tech. He did not play very well. But Rattler, 304 yards, touchdown, two picks, seven carries, or seven yards, one touchdown at, quotation marks, Tulane. Uh, yeah, Rattler's super talented. He'll be the number one pick in the draft, I, unless he gets hurt. But even then, Sam Bradford came off an ACL injury and still got drafted first overall. So look how well that turned out for him. <laughs> Made a lot of money. Somehow, but played a lot of time in the NFL. Uh, played. He was in the league for a while. Didn't really play a lot, but confused, swindled some people there a little bit. People in Minnesota actually thought he was a franchise quarterback. I remember having those conversations going, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> he completed a high percentage of his passes because all Minnesota ran that year was crossing routes. Literally, go watch Sam Bradford's, I think, 72% completion percentage season. You just see a shit ton of crossing routes. It was ridiculous. But Spencer Rattler... He's not Sam Bradford. He's super talented, mobile, can throw anywhere up, can throw anywhere on the field, can contour his body, make every single throw. Didn't play the greatest against Tulane, but that's kind of the expectation we have for him, even though he threw 304 yards and he only had nine incompletions. The expectations for Rattler are extremely higher than everybody else in college football pretty much because of everybody. Everybody knows how talented he is, but he's still number one in this draft right now. Number two, I had conflicted flipping number two and three a thousand times. But I kept it in the same order as I did. I just moved him up a spot. So Malik Willis is number two on this list. I could really flip Desmond Ritter to number number two. He's number three, obviously. I just think Malik Willis, though he played Campbell, I mean, neither one of them played the toughest opponents out there. Cincinnati played Miami. Liberty played Campbell. Both played well. Malik Willis, 55 yards, rushing a touchdown. He also had a passing touchdown with 217 yards on 23 attempts. He's really good. If we're talking about a combination of speed, arm strength, there's no one better than Malik Willis. If we're talking about just 
what he can do on a football field, he can do more from the quarterback position than anybody else in this draft, even in college football. Rattler and him have similar arm strength. Willis would burn Rattler in a 40-yard dash or just a general 100-meter sprint. Willis is insane. He compares a lot to Michael Vick. I think he's a little bigger than Vick. We're talking about thickness, but arm strength, athleticism, escapability, just raw athletic ability, that's the same thing. It helps that they wear the number seven too, but Willis is a freaking beast. And I'm excited to see what he does the rest of the season. I mean, again, Liberty doesn't play a murderer's row of teams, but they're a really fun team to watch. I, I caught them a few times last year. They're fun. They're really fun to watch. And I know they're not going to blow your doors off with the insane schedule. Like, the toughest teams they play this year. I mean, Ole Miss, November 6th, is going to be an insane football game. Liberty at Ole Miss. Liberty versus Louisiana. Liberty at Syracuse. They should definitely win that game. They won last year, so they win it again. And then versus Army. Those last three games of the year. At Miss, or Ole Miss, whatever you want to call them. Louisiana... And Army, those are three really fun games. If you don't watch a single game all year, those are the games you should watch. Well, you should watch this week, too. It's on ESPN Plus against Troy. That'll be fun. But Willis is an absolute beast. Number three, Desmond Ritter, like we already said. A very raw passer. But if you're talking about size, athletic ability, arm strength, he has it. Very similar to Trey Lance in regards to his rawness. But he looked very good passing the ball, which is what he asked of him. Going into the season, 20 of 25, 295 yards, four touchdowns, one pick, 31 rushing yards, and a touchdown there. I haven't calculated it, but I think out of the top 10, he has the most touchdowns responsible for. I could be wrong about that, but I think he has the most touchdowns. He has five touchdowns, which is very, very impressive. I just think Willis didn't do anything to, I mean, it's, it's hard. I would definitely, I might actually change this. I've had this out for a day. But I might change Rattler or Rattler, uh, Willis and Ritter's locations on this list, especially since Cincinnati are ranked so high, ranked seventh. And Desmond Ritter's a big reason for that, and he's just an absolute beast. We, I love Desmond Ritter. We've talked about that a thousand times. Number four, Sam Howell. I mean, two hundred eight yards, touchdown, three picks. He had led North Carolina in carries, thirty five yards, thirteen carries. But no wide receivers or new wide receivers, new running backs. That was bound to happen. It looked like he was just doing too much which can happen in a situation where you've got all new pieces, but he definitely dropped down. If we're talking about just power rankings here, Hal dropped down the list. He's going to move back up because he's just that good of a quarterback, but this week he looked like he was doing too much. Number five, Carson Strong. Started off slow against Cal. I caught this game at the tail end of it. I was flipping back between this one and LSU-UCLA, I believe that was the other game on. This game was on FS1. Carson Strong's a fun quarterback to watch. He's not the athlete of the quarterbacks we mentioned above, but dude, if we're talking about precision passing, he didn't really show that a ton here. He started off really slow, like we said, but finished the game really strong. 14 to nothing after the first quarter. They scored 22 points unanswered before Cal made a field goal in the fourth quarter to make it 17-22. Him and Romeo Dubes are freaking awesome, or Dubs, however you say his name, are awesome together. He's got a few other weapons out there. His tight end's really fun to watch as well. Nevada's a fun team, and if you haven't watched Carson Strong before, I'd recommend you do because he's a very fun quarterback to watch. 312 yards, two touchdowns in the game. Again, not insane mobily, but not a statue. He did have negative seven yards, but not a total statue. 
Number six, the biggest riser in this draft, and I'm really, I really love this dude's performance this weekend, was Matt Corral, or Monday, I guess, was Matt Corral at Ole Miss. Without a head coach, with no real coach named in place of Lane Kiffin, Matt Corral showed his leadership in this game, took some massive hits, and still played very, very, very well against Louisville that struggled in this game. Ole Miss beat the living shit out of Louisville this weekend. Again, it could have been on Monday. I don't. My days are kind of all morphing together. I kind of forget it's Thursday. I'm going to forget it's Friday in a half hour, which is stupid, but whatever. We move. Corral's fun. Corral's a very fun quarterback to watch. We've never denied the talent he had. It was all, can he not, can he avoid the lapses in judgment? Where he has games like LSU and Arkansas last year, he just throws a shit ton of picks because he's forcing balls. You can't have that. And we're talking about raw talent. This dude is uber talented. And with a pass-happy offense, with a quarterback-friendly coach, with good weapons, and his mobility and leadership that we saw on display this weekend, he could definitely move up higher in this list. Took some massive hits. Didn't let it bother him. And he was smart. He attacked the linebacker that got ejected for targeting. And really, you could have had two linebackers ejected for targeting. Hit him both in the head while he was sliding. So, you could get him both out for targeting. <laughs> but Corral's played really well. Number seven, Keaton Slovis. I had him at number six originally, so he dropped down one spot. Played San Jose State. Didn't do a lot. I mean, 256 yards, two touchdowns. A lot of those yards were to Drake London, which, not surprising. Drake London's a top three wide receiver in this draft. Top four receiver in this draft, probably. I'd say CJ, he's definitely moved up at least number four. But is he past trail on Burks? I don't know. Because if you remember, my preseason list was Olave, Wilson, Burks, Mechie, and London. London definitely jumped Mechie. I say definitely, like Mechie didn't do anything. But Mechie, he jumped Mechie, I think. He might have jumped Burks. But time will tell on that. Burks has got the worst quarterback to work with out of those guys. He doesn't. Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson has C.J. Stroud. Mechie has Bryce Young. Uh, London has Keen Slovis. Romeo Dubs, who is number six on the list, has Carson Strong. I don't even know who Arkansas's quarterback is. <laughs> so, but he, Burks is a freaking beast, but Keaton Slovis didn't do a ton. He played San Jose State. They won. Not insane, so not enough to move up this list at all. He just dropped one spot. Number eight, JT Daniels. You know I'm not a huge JT Daniels guy here. I'm open to being op open about JT Daniels. I don't know what he really does. I don't know what the hype's all about. I don't see anything spe particularly special in anything that he does. He's got a decent arm. He's decently accurate. He seems to be a smart guy. He's a freaking statue. By every word, every sense of the word, he's a statue. He doesn't... I, I don't know what amazes people. He's done good at Georgia. Like he's 5-0 and at Georgia. Like, Georgia doesn't have an elite defense. But... I don't know. They, they won 10-3 to against Clemson, and he... The offense didn't even score the touchdown. It was a defensive touchdown. I don't know. Someone could help me on this because I don't really know what he does that makes people go, wow, that guy's the dude. He's got another injury, which we talked about preseason. He's got a lot of injury issues. What is it that this guy does that makes him a number one quarterback in this draft? I'm open to hearing it because I haven't seen it since he's been at USC. Even when he was at USC, I didn't get understand the hype that much. And then he lost the starting job. Goes to Georgia, to Kirby Smart, who is not necessarily the biggest name in developing quarterbacks. 
The one they kept turned out to be the worst between Fields, Eason, and Fromm. Even though Fromm went to a national championship, we've talked about that a thousand times, don't need to get into it again. He's not the greatest at developing quarterbacks. I don't know what JT Daniels does that goes, that guy's the number one pick in the draft. I sometimes question why I have him at eight, because if you look at the guy at number nine, Phil Yurkovic, Phil Yurkovic, Phil Yurkovic, however you want to pronounce his name, played awesome this week against Colgate. Now, two completely different teams. I'm well aware of that, Colgate and Clemson. But Yurkovic balled out. 303 yards, three touchdowns. We talked about how he's an underrated athlete. Five carries, 61 yards in the game, led Boston College in both passing, obviously, and rushing. Dude's awesome. Very underrated athlete. I compared him to a Miami of Ohio Big Ben, and I stand by that. Dude's a beast. Bigger dude can move. I really like Phil Yurkovic. I would not be surprised at some point if he passed JT Daniels because I know what I can tell you what Phil Yurkovic does. Strong arm, mobile, big dude. JT Daniels has injury problems, not mobile. Seems smart, accurate, not strong arm. I I don't know. I'm open to being wrong about that. I'm open to being wrong about JT Daniels, but I don't know what he does. Number 10, Jaden Daniels. Moved him down one spot. Didn't need to do a lot against Southern Utah. 10 of 12. 132 yards, no touchdowns, no picks, 40 yards rushing. Showed a lot of escapability, ran a lot of defenders in this game, put a ball in a few nice plays in this game, but didn't need to do a lot. I mean, he had 12 passes. He didn't lose a spot in the top 10, but Yurkovic definitely jumped him because of how good of a game he played against Colgate. I really like JT Daniels. He's a little bit on the slender side, but he is an extreme athlete. Watch some Arizona State games this year. You'll see what I'm talking about. And then I had some others on here. I had five others on here. They're just in order of last name. Emery Jones from Florida. 113 yards passing, one touchdown, two picks, 74 yards rushing against Florida Atlantic. Derek King, though he got shattered against Miami, he's still a really good quarterback. 178 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, only 10 yards rushing, which is really low for Derek King standards. Bo Nix is on here. It's an order of last name, if you couldn't tell. Had a really good game against Akron, 20 of 22, 275, three touchdowns, three carries, 32 yards. Really good game for him. Tyler Show. Against Texas, or I have Texas a now I'm on here. He's from Texas Tech. Against Houston, 231 yards, one touchdown, one touchdown rushing as well. And Dorian Thompson-Robinson, DTR, through two games. One of them against Hawaii, which they should win. And then one against LSU, which I shouldn't be surprised about because of how shaky LSU has been over the past year and how good I know DTR is. And Shea Barnet, or Char- Charbonnet, geez, sorry. Charbonnet is at running back after watching him against Hawaii. They've got some players, and I really, you know how much I like Dorian Thompson-Robinson, but four touchdowns, one interception, 21 yards rushing for him, I really like Dorian Thompson-Robinson, but those are my top, I guess, 15, no real order on the others list, it's just an order of last name, so Jones, J, K, King, Nix, N, Show, S, and then T, Thompson-Robinson, DTR, Beast. Love those quarterbacks, I'm excited to see what they do, Yeah. Just some fun stuff. Love college football. NFL, we've got some big-time NFL action this week, so we already talked about the Cowboys and Bucks. I'm going to try and wrap up the show here. Bucks obviously winning 31-29. On Sunday, we've got the Bills returning against the Steelers. It's like the national game on CBS on the noon kickoff. Bills are six-and-a-half-point favorites. Let's go, Buffalo. Take over the Pittsburgh Steelers. Beat the Steelers for the third year in a row. Love to see it. Chargers at the Washington football team will be a fun one. Washington's a one-point favorite. Excited to see what Justin Herbert does in year two. Eagles and Falcons is at noon. Then we got the Vikings, Bengals, Niners, Lions, Cardinals, Titans, Seahawks, Colts, Jets, Panthers, Jaguars, Texans. And then we've got some 325 games between the Browns, Chiefs, which should be very fun. 
Dolphins, Patriots, which is always seems to be fun. Packers, Saints, Bucks, Giants, and Sunday Night Football is the Bears and Rams followed by Monday Night Football being the Ravens and the Raiders. Fun, fun stuff. If I'm going through this, picking all the games, I'm going to say the Bills beat the Steelers, cover 6.5. I think the Chargers upset the Washington football team. And I'm going to go with the... I don't know. Eagles, Falcons. We'll come back to that one. Minnesota can cover against the Vikings, minus three. Niners should be able to cover against the Lions, minus eight. That's a big, I mean, it's a big spread, but the Lions, I don't think, are going to be very good. Their defense is not that great. Cardinals, Titans. Titans should cover over three against the Cardinals. Colts, Seahawks. I'm going to, that one's close. I might take the Colts on the spread. It's a minus three spread. I think this game will be close. I'm going to, I, jeez. Seahawks are minus three. I think in my preseason prediction thing, I said the Colts. But I'm going to go with the Seahawks in this game. I'm not confident in that. But I'm going to say Seahawks win. Carolina Jets, I think the Panthers win. Jacksonville versus the Texans, Jaguars win. Chiefs, Browns, Chiefs win. I think I don't think the Browns won a first game in like 20 years or something like that. Since they've been back since 99, I don't think they've won their first game of the season ever. Could be wrong. I literally might have won of them. I don't know. Dolphins, Patriots, Patriots minus three, take the Pats. Packers Saints minus three in New Orleans. Take the Packers. Broncos Giants minus three for Denver. Nervously, I take the Broncos. I think their defense is really good. I like both defense, but the line, the Giants O line kind of scares me. Bears Rams Rams should be able to cover minus seven, and then Ravens Raiders Ravens should be capable to cover minus four. Yeah, that's what we've got. And then the Falcons versus the Eagles. I'm gonna take the Eagles. Eagles are minus three underdog in this game. I'm going to take the Eagles. I'm not confident in that, but I'm going to take the Philadelphia Eagles in that game. So that's what I've got for you this week on the Logan Blackman Show or this Friday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Wanted to end this game at uh, 30 minutes or wanted to try to. Obviously didn't. Hope you enjoyed the show, though. If not, I can only apologize. I think the show went a lot better than what I was originally anticipating at the start of the show because of how tired I am. I am deadbeat tired right now. I'm going to die tomorrow. Good Lord. I don't even know if I'm going to wake up tomorrow. Goodness gracious. Hope you enjoyed the show, though, nonetheless. <laughs> Have a great weekend. Go and watch some college football. Iowa State this weekend. Big, big game. You and I. I should have probably checked this. Who is you and I playing this week? So I'm trying to... I try to follow you and I as much as I can. Obviously, I went there. They're playing at Sacramento State at 8 p.m. on Saturday on ESPN+. Plus. If you want to watch the UNI Panthers play that game, that'll be fun. Then they play St. Thomas on their first home game on September 18th. Hall of Fame game on ESPN3. That game is at 4 o'clock. You and I is one of those weird teams where, you know, like, Iowa always gets slated the weird 11 o'clock games. You and I gets a lot of 4 o'clock, 4 o'clock games. I don't know why that is, but it always seems like they get a shit ton of those games. But nonetheless, I hope the Panthers get a big double over Sacramento State. That will be a tough game for them. Iowa State, awesome game. Two top 10 teams. State of Iowa is ruling football right now. Eh, well... I guess Ohio State and Cincinnati ranked higher than them. But that's not that's beside the point. We don't really care about that. Uh, look at that over there. Uh, that's the end of the show. Hope you enjoyed it. If not, I apologize. Go and follow me on all forms of social media. Go and subscribe to the Apple Podcast and Spotify account. And subscribe to the YouTube channel. And go check out the blog post as well for the quarterback rankings for week two. Hope you enjoyed it. And I will see you all later. Peace.